It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. What's up, everyone? Welcome back for a brand new edition of Collider Ladies Night. I'm very excited to welcome Madeleine Petch to the show for Hotel for the Holidays, which is on Amazon Freebie, which is Amazon, but you could watch it for free. It's that simple. Madeleine, congratulations on the movie and everything you've accomplished thus far, which we're going to talk about. Thanks, Perry. I'm happy to be here. So I have not told you this, but the first thing we do on Collider Ladies Night is we play a little game. It's called Dicey Questions. I've got a dice tower behind me. I have eight random questions and whatever question I roll for you, that is where we start at least. Okay, I'll take it. All right, first one up. Starting this with a number one, you're getting a softball to start here. What is the movie that you've rewatched the most? Fight Club. I did not see that coming. No one ever does. It's my favorite movie of all time. Excellent choice. Can I put you on the spot and ask for your favorite line from Fight Club? It's, um, Marla refers to herself as a kidney. I can't remember the exact line, but I know exactly where, when she says it and how. Marla is, Helena Bonham Carter is the most amazing actress and Marla is just a dream. All right, number two now for you. All right, we're moving on to a number five. All right, this is a, this is a very acting specific question. What would you say is your absolute favorite part of the acting process? Like rehearsal, putting on your costume for the first time, something like that. But then also, what's not necessarily your least favorite, but the part where you recognize room to grow for yourself and you look forward to exploring that? It's a great question. I have multiple answers. I feel like that's how life works. I love that moment. I like have very specific feelings about certain moments in my career. That moment when they say rolling before they call action is such a special feeling that I still get excited about. Like there's still, even on Riverdale, which I've been doing for seven years, there's still a little bit of nerves inside of me between rolling and action. And the minute they say action, it completely wipes away. It's the most incredible feeling. I don't know how to explain it, but it's almost euphoric. Um, so that, 
I also really love script work. I really love breaking down a character. I love building a character from the ground up. I love creating humans and worlds and places for people to escape to. That's really what I love about my job, storytelling, which is like such a lame answer as an actor, but it's true. So I like being able to break into stories and really dive into a character and, and learn what they're, what makes them tick and what, what excites them and what their needs are. So that as well. And then my least favorite part, um, hmm, honestly, probably like fittings. I actually really like costume fittings usually, but I find when I'm working an insane schedule and I'm trying to fit fittings in, all of my fitting photos, I'm just like sleeping in. It's like, I can't even imagine what my showrunner must see in my fitting photos. I'm like, I'm to sleep all the time. All right. You have one more role left on the tower. Okay. All right. We are gonna wrap this up. With a number two, this one is called Never Again. What is something that you did for a role in the past that now makes you say, I'm really glad that I tried that once, but I don't ever have to do that again? I'm scared to answer this because I don't want people to go and try to find this movie because I think I've scrubbed it off of my my life. But I'm going to tell you, but not be specific. Okay. So basically, <laughs> I um, now people are, I feel like people are going to try and find it. I got covered in body makeup from head to toe and like pale blue body makeup. And they made like basically prosthetics all over my entire body and had my skin peeling off. I had a bald cap on and that all over my bald cap as well uh, to play like a, if I say this, it's going to get too specific to play something where I needed to be that way. It had nothing to do with my character. They just kind of like added me in at the last minute. And I don't think I will ever do that again. It was freezing cold. We couldn't put any robes on because it would take the body paint off. It was one of my first jobs. So I feel like I also like didn't want to say I was cold. So I was just in between takes, literally sitting there shivering. Uh, that would be the thing I would probably never do again. Speak up. I just would speak up. I'm trying so hard to think about what this might be. You'll never know. You'll never know, Perry. Uh, now we get into the meat of our conversation. Every Collider Ladies Night starts with this one. What would you say is the movie, the performance you saw, personal experience you had, you name it, that first made you say to yourself, I have to be an actor? This is such a strange answer. But when I was a kid, I grew up in a kind of difficult environment for many reasons. And the Harry Potter stories allowed me escapism in a way and world building in a way that I had never really felt or understood before. And I think the amount of escapism I felt while watching, listening to the audiobooks, reading the books, um, that I felt as a kid, the, the safety that I felt in that world is a huge reason why I love what I do today. Oh, I love that answer so much. I also, um, I have uh, the movie, The Pale Blue Eye on my brain because Harry Melling from the Harry Potter films is in that. And mm -hmm. he's just like, crushing it right now yeah like I feel like he was one of the ones who like did not get nearly enough attention and now he's like showing his range and he's something special very much so so you identified the fact that that is the dream and you want to go that path at the time what did you think that step one to becoming an actor was and now looking back would you actually recommend that step to an aspiring actor or did you find something else that that was uh, a little better for you well, I was just a loud kid in general, which is so ironic because now I find I'm quite I'm a quiet adult, but I just craved attention and I would like make up plays and, and dances at such a young age that I was put into theater and dance at like three, three and five. 
So I think I already knew I wanted to be a performer before Harry Potter even came out. I think I was able to identify it by seeing that on screen. I was like, oh, that's what I want to do. Now I understand the feeling I feel when I'm on stage, the feeling I feel when I'm performing a, a, a play or a dance number. I don't want that to go away. I like the way people feel immersed in whatever I'm doing. So my parents kept me in theater. And the, I guess the obvious next step for them was they, they refused to let me not go through any normal childhood experiences. So they were like, you have to go to prom, you have to graduate high school, which I'm so thankful for now. So I'd say that was a really solid first step for me. They drove me to California or maybe we flew twice and auditioned and met agents and managers, but they really were like, you can't do this until you're done with high school and then we will fully support you. So that, and then also I went to an arts high school, a high school that was really focused on the arts. And I think that really helped me with independence. That helped me with really honing in on my craft. And I, it helped me make the decision to not also pursue dance. I decided I was only going to pursue just acting by going to this, this class, the school that had all these different performing arts that I could try. When you take the plunge and make the move to LA to jump right into a really challenging industry, what would you say was your greatest source of comfort, something you had done or something in yourself that made you believe that even though this is a really challenging business, I can do it? You know, I was, I was going to do like a silly answer and I have one, but I was raised in a family where camp wasn't really in our vocabulary. My parents are from South Africa. They moved to the States with almost no money in their pockets and built a business and were able to put a roof over my brother and I's heads when coming to this country with nothing, that country with nothing, I'm in Canada right now. And I think because of that and because of their drive and their their knowingness and their success and their belief in themselves, it was kind of taught to me at such a young age that it wasn't really an option not to, which I'm so thankful for looking back. I mean, they built this confidence in me as a kid that I could just do anything. And now I look back and I'm almost more fearful of the world now than I was then, which is so funny considering where I am now. And I'm like, how did I do that at 18? You know, 10 years later, how did I go and do that stuff? It actually blows my mind. That's that's a, a beautiful answer. I wish I could I wish I could take the word can't and kind of just like remove it from my vocab. I've done it with the word with the word hate. I, I don't really oh like God. when people say I I hate this movie or this show because even if I don't love it. I'm still a big believer that every single movie and show has a fan out there. Sure. And I feel like hate is crossing a line that could be disrespectful of that. And I don't like it. I love that. I think that's, that's really wonderful. Here's a question I love asking. So you move, you move to LA and I imagine you're doing the audition grind. Can you give us one early audition high, something that even if you didn't book the role made you feel really good, like you had a good chance going forward, but then also what's an audition low and either how did you overcome that low or what did you learn from it that you were able to apply to future auditions? So many audition lows. I think that, I think the biggest thing for me is anybody going into this industry has to be so used to the word no, has to be comfortable with the word no and rejection and not, not take that personally. There's nothing personal about this job. Truly. It's, I mean, it, it is a job at the end of the day. So I'd say a, a high would be Kind of like any callback the first year that I was out there felt like a, a moment of validation for me. And I'm, I'm pretty lucky. I had a, a couple of those. I had some producer sessions. I had some director sessions. I didn't really book anything the first year that I was there other than a Honda commercial. And I think that also might have been a big high. I made good money on that. And I worked with an amazing DP, uh, Emmanuel Lubezki, who did Gravity. And I think doing that made me feel like, whoa, okay, I can book, I can book this. I can do this. 
that was a very validating moment for me. Even though it was like a Honda commercial, it was still really cool to have been booked for something that was going to go on TV. Working with an icon, my God. It was so, when they told me he was DPing it, I was like, I'm going for that. Um, Jumping into, I guess, your first screen credit. And I know this isn't the biggest role ever, but a first set can make a very, very big impression on someone. And this movie is like pretty gnarly and wild. The Hive. Harry, I just worked with Gabe Basso on The Strangers. Yes. He's in The Hive. If you ask me what The Hive is about, couldn't tell you, don't remember even shooting it. But when I started doing The Strangers, they told me that they had cast Gabe. And I was like, why does that name sound so familiar? And then he walks into the room for our first kind of like script prep. And I was like, holy crap. I'm pretty sure we've made out before. And he was like, yeah. And, I, and he was like, you were my second kiss ever. <laughs> this is crazy. So that's my only hive story is uh, Gabe Basso and I made out. And now we have come full circle and he's in the strangers with me. I'm definitely squeezing in a stranger's question or two at a point here. Um, but you know where we have to go next. We have to touch on Riverdale. What is something about your approach to your work that stayed the same from Riverdale season one to season seven? But then also what's something about your process that's evolved? the most over the years. So interesting. I always memorize my lines the night before for any project, at least the night before. I'm somebody who really likes to sleep on my lines and marinate within them so they feel more natural when I wake up in the morning. They're just kind of embedded in my brain. So I'd say that's something that stayed the same. However, that has also evolved because line changes happen. I want to change a line in the moment. So I've learned to be more malleable within that process, I think would be kind of like it's a two-parter answer to both of your questions. Oh, it totally makes sense. Looking back, is there any particular line change that initially threw you, but then all of a sudden you kind of realized on the spot that it's important to embrace the change and you were able to feel how that scene improved for the better because of that particular change? Not, I can't think of one specific instance, but I can tell you that when I missed, an Riverdale is word perfect usually. So if you miss an and or a the when you memorize and then they throw that in because what you're saying doesn't make sense if you don't say it, it can become quite jarring to a large monologue. You could go do an Aaron Sorkin project next. I could. That Riverdale's great camp for that. He's, he's very, very word perfect. I've heard many, many stories about that. Is there any particular moment while making Riverdale? Because I know when you first start a big show like that, and especially when you're newer to the industry, you could feel the pressure to just like basically do what you're told and like nail the lines all the time. But then as you come to understand your character better than anyone else and you gain experience, have you noticed a point on Riverdale where like your creative input and your character was being heard in a different way that made you feel like you had more power over her than ever. You know, Roberto, our showrunner, has always been so open to our creative input from the beginning. I remember right after the pilot was done wrapping, he sat down with each of the five of us and said, what are the things you want to see your character doing? And so I was like, I'd love to. And he's like, well, what are the things that you just want to do? What do you want to learn? I was like, I really want to learn archery. Put that into the show. Um, it was like, that's random, but I want to do it. So he's always been open to it. And then when we had been halfway through season one, I believe I called him and I was like, Cheryl's a lesbian. And he was like, cool, tell me why. And he was super open to it. And that's, I mean, him and I are the reason why Cheryl is a lesbian. It was, it was an idea, a thought, a feeling I felt while I was playing her. So he's kind of always really respected all of our creative input and welcomed it with open arms. 
I love that quality in a showrunner so much that what you just mentioned about archery is making me think of a, of a dicey question that I usually ask. If uh, you had the opportunity to learn a new skill or about a different profession through a role, what would you pick and why? I would love to have to learn a language for a role. I only speak English and that's so stupid. I learned French in school and I don't remember any of it. And then I tried Duolingo and I just, the minute you lose that streak, all of my confidence in myself goes down on it and I don't want to start again. I would love to have the excuse to learn a language for my job. I love that answer. I tried so, so hard to learn French in high school and then Hebrew in college. And I worked really hard at it. But then the second I stopped studying, like poof, it was gone. gone. All that work. It's gone. Here's a here's a bigger, broader question for you, whether whether it's Riverdale or any project that you've worked on. And I know this is a tough thing to answer because I know confidence in this industry can be tough to come by. But is there any particular scene that you remember shooting that you walked into it and you're like, this is going to be crazy challenging for me? But then you did it. You nailed it. Now you can look back on that particular scene and accomplishment and say, no matter what I face along the way, I know I can do it and I deserve to be here. I don't think that one performance could ever make me feel that way all the time. I think my career, my craft is ever evolving. So there is a performance I remember being very nervous for in season two of Riverdale. I think it was episode six where I kind of begged my mother to love me and I'm like pretty emotional about it. That I was nervous for, but I don't now look back on that and think I can do anything. I think it's ever evolving and I think it's going to, it's always going to be an ebb and a flow. Looking at season seven now, I guess with with that in mind, and like, I know you can't really give specifics, but maybe loosely teasing, is there anything you managed to accomplish in that final season that might make season one you go like, damn, I never could have imagined that I'd be capable of doing that one day? Well, we're still shooting season seven, so I can't really speak to, I'm currently here right now, uh, I can't really speak too much on that. I... I don't know. I think see, Riverdale is such a strange beast because we have done kind of everything. And I think if you would have told pilot Madeline that I would be hanging on wires at the end of season six with my hands in the sky, shooting lasers out of my arms out of comet, I would have been like, no way in hell. So I, I, I honestly think with a, with a show like Riverdale, you, you have to just kind of expect the unexpected. All right. Now, like looking ahead, you just mentioned you're still shooting uh, season seven. So this question is probably premature, but just in an effort to get a a full picture of your journey there. So with Riverdale winding down and you moving on to, or at least having more time for more projects, because you've always incorporated some things in between seasons. What's a a particular acting technique that you think is going to have to, you know, stay behind with Cheryl, something that was very specific to that character. But then on the other hand, what is a corner of your craft that that role hasn't really given you the opportunity to explore yet that you're looking forward to digging into in the future? Cheryl speaks incredibly quickly. And I find when Riverdale's over, I have, I have to kind of snap myself out of that. So that would be probably something that needs to be left in the dust. And things that I'm looking forward to exploring, kind of everything. I mean, I have definitely gotten to dive into a lot of other projects and I'm so thankful and happy and love them all. I think I just don't have to talk for the holidays and I think doing a comedy and a lighthearted piece was so fun. I really would love to do more comedy and get to have like fun on set sometimes too. And not just be like crying and running away from uh, monsters and serial killers all the time. 
I have one more uh, post-Riverdale uh, question for you. This is a little less about craft and more about like navigating the industry in general, because after like a long running, very big show comes to an end, it can be a very high pressure situation to figure out what to do next. So what would you say is one piece of advice you've gotten about, I guess, making your next move, so to speak, that you plan to act on, but then also what is a piece of advice that might make you think like, Thank you for that suggestion, but like I recognize that something different feels like it would work best for me. You know, I haven't really been open to advice on that, to be honest with you. I think I know in my gut what projects speak to me when I read them, and I have a great team around me who kind of know the trajectory that we're all looking for. So I think that's there's not really like a lot of room for people to come in and tell me what to do with my career outside of myself and my team right now. I very much respect that authority there and uh, <laughs> the ability to take control of your craft like that. Um, jumping into Hotel for the Holidays with that in mind, when that script first comes your way, what is the very first thing that makes you think, you know what, this is going to be a good fit for me or maybe like I need this in my career right now? I had just finished a very heavy and hard season of Riverdale and I gotten some offers that felt like would be very emotionally draining for me and not necessarily just the, the mostly the subject matter i was getting a lot of really heavy projects so when hotel was sent to me it was just such a breath of fresh air i love that there's so many different relationships within it it's such a beautiful story it's so heartwarming i personally love holiday movies i watch halloween movies all of october i watch christmas movies all of december and the idea of being a part of someone's tradition like that is really exciting to me and it's such a wonderful script and our director was so collaborative when we spoke on the phone we we got to work together on kind of evolving some scenes together i think just the way it came together and the magic of the project is what brought me to it speaking of jumping into a uh, a romantic comedy and just like the tone of it all and especially given how different the tone is from most of your past work how, how do you, I guess, feel that you're nailing the tone? Because as I'm watching like this movie and also most movies in the genre, it always feels to me like, like score from the viewer perspective is always so incredibly important to, to calibrating that tone, but you don't have access to something like score on a set. So when you're delivering lines like that, how do you know that it is going to feel right in the overall tone of the piece? I mean, you just, you just got to do the work and put your head down and, and, and do the work as an actor. I can't be sitting there thinking while I'm shooting, like, I hope that this fits the tone. It's like, no, I'm just in the moment. I know the character. I know how fast she would speak or how quirky she is or how much, how much clip she's got in that moment. And you've just got to, you've got to totally know where you are in the story, but know who your character is. And you've just got to run with that. And if you don't have that confidence, then you're going to be second guessing yourself throughout the entire film. And it's not going to end up good or grounded. I feel like I might know the answer to this, but when you finish a take and you need that confirmation that like, yes, nailed it, got it. Where do you look first? Is it your scene partner? Is it in yourself? Is it your director? Who do you turn to first? It really depends on the project. To be honest, for Hotel, I knew, because I worked with the director on that script for like the three weeks leading up to shooting. So I knew within myself exactly who this character needed to be. So I, I was very sure. When I'm working on a project where... Maybe I'm thrown in a little bit faster. I don't have the time to do the prep. I definitely think you have to have that relationship with a director or a writer or producer on set. That is watching the monitor. On Strangers, I would walk over to Rennie and Courtney, our producer, and I would say, do you feel like we've got what we were looking for in that moment? There was so much stunt work happening that it was like, I'm, I've never really 
had to do such intense stunt work and also be so viscerally involved in my craft. So I think that's when I would look to your director, your producer, the, re- the relationship that you feel the closest to creatively and on the same page with would be who I would look to. Having put in so much prep work with the uh, hotel for the holidays before filming, what would you say is the biggest difference between the very first version of the script you were handed and then what it ultimately turned out to be after you did that workshopping? I think it, it really was about building those relationships to be deeper, really believing that those characters have been working at the hotel for a longer period of time and making the stakes a little bit higher. So I think it's just, it was truly evolved to help the, the viewer and the actors be more invested emotionally in the story. Here's a question I love asking to highlight the different uh, techniques out there. Of everyone in the Hotel for the Holidays ensemble, which two actors would you say have the most polar opposite ways of approaching their work? Where when you're their scene partner, you know you're going to get a completely different acting experience. Hmm, that's interesting. I really worked with Nina the most. So I would say Nina, I, I honestly, I really, Nina is such a professional, he's such a pro and he's so good. And, um, but he's great at improv. And then there are other actors, I'd say a lot of the actors on that set really wanted to stick to the page. And then Mina was the one who was like, let's improv this a little bit, let's have a little fun, let's be loose, let's be free. So I think I just felt a pretty stark difference between Mina and I's kind of work on set and then the, the rest of the cast's work on set. In a great way, I like both, I'm happy to do whatever, honestly. I have Riverdale and then I've got other things. So it's like, I'm pretty, pretty chill with that stuff. You see, you seem very open-minded about trying anything and everything. Is there any particular like common acting technique out there that you've yet to try yourself that you're eager to give a shot? Method. I don't, but I don't want to do that. I don't feel like that's something I need to do. I feel like it could become quite a toxic environment when you're method. I've heard stories about people drawing the line in a respectable place, but then also I've heard many that have crossed it and that is not okay. People who are drawing the line totally love that. And if that's something that I ever felt like I needed to do for a role, then maybe. But I think the whole point of acting is that you're acting. So I have a hard time kind of understanding the need for method, but maybe one day I'll, we'll do an interview in 10 years and I'll tell you I'll, I'll have done it and I'll tell you why. When you do a method acting performance, you let me know and we'll do another ladies night. <laughs> um, speaking of that kind of, you know, acting toolkit, I guess, what is a new tool in that toolkit, so to speak, that you know that you can credit to Hotel for the Holidays that you'll be able to take on to future projects now? Hmm. I think there's a couple. Um, I, I really wrote with the director and the writers, I rewrote a lot of my lines to feel more in line with the character that we created. And I think that's something that I didn't, I hadn't done a lot of, and I really enjoyed that. I also think the, the quirkiness, the, the comedy, the almost Gilmore Girls-esque relationship that Georgia has with pretty much everybody in the, the movie, I, I feel like I will take forward into other comedies as well. I haven't gotten to do a lot of those. So I think just learning who I am in a comedy role and in a film like that of that genre was really fun for me. And I really look forward to exploring more of that. Do you have writing and directing ambitions? I just feel like I hear a lot of that in your answers. I, I do. I do. I don't know. It's hard to say. I really like producing and I, I like being invested from the ground up and I like making characters and that's kind of my job as an actor and I think as my storytelling evolves so will the way that I tell stories 
if you had the opportunity to learn about another job on a film set, like not not acting, not writing, not producing, not directing, some other key element in what it takes to make a movie or a show happen, what particular position on the crew would you choose? I'm very fascinated by camera operating and, and director of photography. I think it's the one thing that I've been on set for seven years, I've been trying to understand camera lenses and lighting. And I, I understand key lights and I understand how they hit actors. But I mean, the way that our DPs on Riverdale will light every little moment and, and it has to do with the an integral storytelling is so fascinating to me. And I still haven't picked up all of the jargon and how they speak about it. And that's something that I'm very curious about. Feel like when your very first gig is a Honda commercial with an icon, it does not surprise me to hear that answer. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. All right, the time has come. I have to ask about the strangers because my apps, I watch everything, but my absolute favorite genre is horror. And obviously, I consider the strangers, the original, one of the best films out there. So for anyone who who feels that way about the original and is sitting there wondering, like, why would you remake this? What would you tell them? What is it about your Strangers movie that's going to add another layer that justifies another revisit to that particular story and scenario? I'd like to first tell that person that I, too, feel that way about the original Strangers. I, when I got sent the trilogy of scripts, I said, this feels like a behemoth that maybe shouldn't be touched. I really felt that way as well. And I was very resistant to the idea. And then I clicked on the first script and it all made sense to me. You're getting so much more backstory. You're getting so much more character development. I think my biggest pet peeve with the old one now is that you're not really emotionally invested in those characters. So yes, it's terrifying, but you don't know why they're fighting originally. You don't know what their relationship is. They're kind of already at uh, at odds with each other. And so there's not a lot of investment into Liv Tyler and Scott Speedsman. There's more just, um, you're just terrified for them and with them. And so I think we built a, a, a world that delves into it more. It's not exactly a remake because it's different characters, but it's the same concept and idea. Um, and I think people will feel like it's an homage. They're going to feel like we handled the material with care. And I think that they're just going to feel like we dove deeper into it. So if anything, it should make Strangers OG fans really excited because you get more answers you get more mystery and you get more scares, which is why we watch them. I feel like the answer to this question was kind of built into what you just said. But then what would you also say to someone who says, you know, why do we need a trilogy versus just a single remake? What is it about a trilogy that's going to let you, you know, explore something that I guess doesn't just doesn't just feel more, but also necessary to add to that scenario? I really, I really feel like that's a more like you need to watch to find out because we really do gotta watch all three guys tune in when they come out. Thank you. Uh, no, but truly, I, I we dive in so much to the world and we really build on that and we 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 have a we have a lot of fun and I think you're gonna have a lot of fun watching it and I think you should watch it and that's why that's why I like it. I like it. Now, just for me because I love horror. What's your favorite horror movie of all time? Okay, truly. Okay, first of all, let me let me start by saying when Blockbuster was still a thing, I spent every weekend from 7th to 10th grade watching every horror film on the Blockbuster section. Big deal to me. So I have lots of answers. I would say that I honestly would have said, if you asked me this a year ago, The Strangers would have been my number one. Um, then I would say, it's a really, I like ironically like a lot of really terrible horror films as well. It's not terrible if you like it. Thank you, Perry. <laughs> um, Lily and I watch, Lily Reinhardt and I watch a lot of horror together as 
probably our favorite pastime. But I'd say The Strangers is probably my favorite. I'm trying to think of some other ones, but they're all almost like the bad good ones. And I don't want to say anything's bad. On There's our an answer right over my shoulder. Oh, Scream is your favorite. That is my favorite. That is my favorite. Pete Ulrich is, is, a, is a, a living legend. He's a gem, so I don't blame you. Before we have to wind down, I did a little internet stalking and I was watching some of your YouTube channel and like in general, I'm, I'm very impressed by it. And I really appreciate how open you are about talking about some challenging things because you have a lot of fans and I'm a big believer that you talking about those things could make a difference for a lot of people out there. And one thing that really kind of, you know, caught my own ear when I was watching your video about, you were talking a little bit about how you're going to reshape your YouTube channel and what your, uh, your goals are going forward. And you specifically said that you recently realized that you need to find, um, you need to find time to enjoy yourself without work. And I feel like that's a very, very important lesson for a lot of people out there, myself included, to learn. So between the making of that video and now, is there anything that you have discovered to help you in that effort that you can share thus far? It's actually really ironic, Carrie, because I think that was the last video I put out. And I think that that helped me learn that I, I, I really thought that things like YouTube and reading scripts and being on sets was just filling me up and filling up all of my different cups. And it was filling a lot of my cups up, but it wasn't filling up the, the, the Madeline cup that exists outside of my career at all. And I was spending every single waking moment doing some capacity of that, some piece of that. And I think I had to let go of a, a piece of what my work in order to find time for that. So honestly, taking space away from YouTube has allowed me the time to fill up my own cup, which is so ironic, right? I think that was almost like my exit video without even saying it was. I'm not saying I quit. I, 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 I don't think, I don't believe in that. I, I feel like I could come back at any time, but it really was me learning to take a step back and be like, wow, this thing is actually becoming more of a stressor to me because I have this pressure, this immense pressure I put on myself that I don't even think other people do to be good and to and to be there every week for people who have been tuning in every week for multiple years. So I think stepping away from that has allowed me time to enjoy myself a little bit more, but I'm still working on it. It's, it's still a, a constant spectrum of things I have to work on. I, I still struggle daily with filling up my own cup. I think we all kind of do. Yeah, we, we all do. We all got to learn. And like when you're ready to jump back into that, that'll be great because you'll have learned and you can express what you learned to your viewers. But also all that content that you made is still there. Still spread joy. People are still discovering it. I watched some of it for the first time. Thanks, Perry. I appreciate that. I must let you go. I'm going to say a huge congratulations on Hotel for the Holidays. Again, on Amazon Freebie. People don't seem to understand what Freebie is. It is simply Amazon that is free. You just look up the movie and you press play. And that's it. It's free. It's free. It's great. Watch that. Huge congratulations on everything you've accomplished thus far. I look forward to revisiting the evolution of your craft sometime in the future because I'm sure you will keep delivering big. Thank you, Perry. It's been lovely. What a lovely time this has been. Hold up. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.